0: You will see you over you.
1: Amen. 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 We pray and pray for God, Father God. Lord, we just want to pause this morning, Father God, to give you a Father God. We thank you, Lord, for this day, Father God, your Sabbath day, Father God, day that you set aside for us, Father God, to give it a Enjoy you, Father God, enjoy our family, Father God, and uh just to slow down from this world, Father God, to be able to uh, uh to set ourselves apart from this world, Father God. And we ask you, Lord, know, just continue to bless you God, to say, Father God. And Father God, if you bless us, have us be able to be a blessing to someone. Father God, we ask you, Lord, know, to bless the uh the Sabbath school that's a Father God, bless the facilitator, Father God, to give you break uh, deep and great in a mighty mighty way, Father God, continue to bless this ministry, Father God, and uh, when we move forward, Father God, God, uh, you. Uh, day, for uh, sermon today, Father God, we actually love to bless them and use the pastor as well. And Father God, for those who get on their way, Father God, we actually like to, uh, this is right now, Father God, put protect, your protection around them, allow them to be there safe. And Father God, we actually love to continue to each and every one, separate the members Father God. Those that, uh, listen to us on, on Facebook Live, Father God, those who are going to be listening to the, uh, and class podcast later on, Father God, we actually love to continue to bless them and use them as well, Father God. Help us not to get weary and well known. And Father God, we ask you, Lord, to forgive us all sin, faults, and transgressions today as well, Father God. And we ask you, Lord, just continue to uh, uh just use this ministry, Father God. for Father God, we ask you, Lord, just uh, want to continue to pray for the peace in Jerusalem as well. Father God, we ask you Lord to continue to bless your people and bring them together from the poor country. And Father God, we be sure you be all praised on them, Lord. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. 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 Once again, this is a joyful Sabbath. Let's start learning the difference between the joy that comes from what the word said one of the fruits of the spirit and happiness. Which is happiness is just whenever you're doing something good for me, I'm happy. whenever you do something that I don't like, I'm mad. So happiness comes and goes. But joy should be something internal within me. Real quick before we start, there was something that I seen, matter of fact, just this morning. And I have a question. I know there's not going to be any Trump supporters watching this uh, this Facebook Live or this podcast. And if you are, I haven't. But I'm talking about the, the firmer ones that, you know, you believe everything that comes out of this man's mind. Now, I, you already know my political stand. I, I abstain from voting for a president because I don't believe in the Democrats' uh, platform, and I couldn't vote for a Trump Republican. But now that this is all said and done, I want you to look at the difference between somebody that does have leadership qualities and somebody who wants to be a leader. I would not follow Trump anywhere. Joe Biden came out and asked, came out and asked Americans for 100 days. 100 days, everybody masked up. See, that's a leader taking. Now, what, what's going to happen? See, that's where we get this all misconstrued about what the mask does. The mask is really just to help our hospital. It's to slow the infection rate. Social distancing. For a hundred days y'all can't do that. And you know who really gets on my nerves and fixes my spirit more than anybody? It's up those of us who've been in the military. Did you or did you not go to basic training? Did you or did you not go out in the field? Then there's those, we have two of them here in our ministry, that went and served in a war. And you can't wear a mask for 100 days. So it gives time, if you're gonna take the vaccine or not, you know, that's your car. But do help the hospitals. The hospitals are getting back up to almost 90 to 100% capacity. We're gonna be right where we was in March and April. If we just don't have a little discipline. And that goes into really what we're talking about, too, because the Christian and work. The Christian and work. And when I kind of was going over the lesson and stuff, y'all remember the Humpty Dance? You remember his first little verse that he came out and said? He said, I'm here to ruin the image and style that you're used to well I'm getting ready to ruin the image and style of a Christian life because in these days we're so far we're so quick to holler God's mercy and grace that we don't want to do the work that we wouldn't even need it but we don't want to work anymore we're even going to look at the definition of work the memory text says therefore my beloved brother be steadfast immovable and always a in the work of the lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the lord and that's first corinthians chapter 15 verse 58. work is god's idea <laughs> how many people don't want to work in the ideal world before sin God gave Adam and Eve the task of caring for the garden. And that's Genesis 2, verse 15. Like their creator, in whose image they were made, they were to be employed in a creative labor and loving loving service. That is, even in an unfallen world, a world without sin and death and suffering, humanity was to be at work. This in-between time, after the ideal world, and prior to the promised one, we are invited to view view work as one of God's blessings. (laughs) Among the Jews, every child was taught a trade. In fact, it was said that the father who did not teach his son a trade would raise a criminal. Meanwhile, Jesus, the son of God, spent many years doing his father's will in honest labor as a skilled craftsman, perhaps providing the people of Nazareth We needed furniture and agricultural implements, and that comes out of Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Let's go real quick. Somebody uh, pull up Mark chapter 6, verse 3 for me and read it. They, they knew that Jesus was a carpenter. Then they're asking now, you know, what's this stuff coming out of How can this be? But at first he had a crack. What do you think? What do you think he did for them years between when we saw him at 12, when we saw him, and then when we meet it up again when he's getting ready to start his ministry? You think what do you think he did? He worked with Joseph, his father. I mean, that's why if you don't understand Hebrew culture, then you you, you miss these points. pastor said it a few weeks ago in in one of his sermons, you know, when you was a child in the Hebrew culture, you knew what your job was going to be. If your daddy was a fisherman, you was a fisherman. If your daddy was a carpenter, you was a carpenter. If your daddy managed the store back then, the trade centers, selling the the animals and the, the food and stuff, whatever it was, a farmer, you worked on the farm. You did what your father did. This too was all part of the training to prepare him for his ministry. Now, you got to understand, because see, when you start going and, and reading some of the things that he says, he goes back and he uses the Old Testament first. But when he, he talked about the uh, cornerstone and the cap, and, and the, uh, what was it, the uh, cap, he... He, the capstone and, and, and the cornerstone. See, he understood carpentry. He understood how to put a building together. You know, I know a little bit because I watch, you know, one of my favorite shows used to be this old house and stuff. So I understand that like, sometimes when Elder starts throwing out some of these terms and stuff, I understand it because I used to watch it and I got a knowledge. That wasn't my trade though. My trade was in, in the shipyard I was outside machines. I understand steel and pipe and metal more than I understand how to do wood. I, I know there's some ways you can do things, but not like to the level that, that Elder knows. And that's where he that's what Jesus was doing for them years. He was getting some of this stuff. Then when he came out and he started doing some of these analogies and stuff, trying to get us to see came from a carpenter's perspective. But by him being the son of God, he could also go with a fisherman and get to the fisherman like he did Peter and then when he told him to throw the net on the other side of the boat. Well, for about a summer, I did fishing out in Cameron and I understand about the net. Our boat was set up. Every time we launched and every time we went to go get fish, we went off the starving side of the boat, the right-hand side of the boat. Everything was set up for that. Now, just think if we was out there and Jesus came up to us and told us we had to move all this stuff over to the other side we really looked at him like he was crazy, cause the job was hard enough. But them fishermen did it because they said there's something about this guy. He understands something. What happened when he was with the woman at the well? He, he was able to uh, talk with water about it. But don't not we hear him having that conversation with the water boy. Remember the water boy was very vehement about his water. He had some mighty fine H2O. But that's what he did that woman at the well, and then it opened up her eyes. So this was all the training that he was doing, getting ready for his main job. The Apostle Paul was doing the Lord's, Lord's work just as surely as when he worked alongside Aquila and Priscilla for a year and a half as a tent as a tent maker as he was on a Sabbath debating as he was on the Sabbath debating in the synagogue. And that comes from Acts 18. 1 through 4, and 2 Thessalonians 3, 8 through 12. This week we will look at the whole question of work and its role in Christian education. Many sides of work. I know there's nothing better for the people than to be happy and to good do good while they live. That each of them may eat, And drink and find satisfaction in all their toils. This is a gift of God. And that comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. I know there's nothing better for the people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat, drink, and find satisfaction in their toils. Now, how many of us, when we get up on that Monday, or whatever day you have to get up for your first day of your work week, how many of us is it a drudge for? And how many are happy to go to work? And that's what it's saying, that we should be happy when we get up. And sometimes we let all the, the, the cares and concerns and, and this world bring us down. We go to work, you get around negative people, negative comments all the time. Don't you know that no matter what job we go to, there's going to be trials and tribulations. Everybody's going to think they're smarter than the manager. Sometimes you are, sometimes you're not, because it's one, one thing that pastor always says here, like with his job as being the shepherd of this ministry, he has to look at a whole pile. He has to look at the building. He has to look at the people. He has to look at the teaching. He has to look at the sermons that's doing. He has to look at the music. Well, each and every one of us just have a slice. So being a leader sometimes, there's many responsibilities. Work is a solid, Anglo-Saxon word with no friends. Most of the time when we say work, what's the first thing you think? Oh no. Because it says there's no frills. It's a hard word, but why is it hard? And we're gonna talk about that in a minute. One syllable in English, yet it has many possible meanings. Out of the necessity, we work to put food on our table, pay the bills, and save a little for hard times. Losing a job is often worse than putting up with a poor work condition. Work can give a person sense of work. Work is a common way to answer the question, what do you do? Or even, what are you? i are going to talk about that in a minute. Most retirees continue to work a part-time job as long as they are able, whether for pay or as a volunteer. A job offers a reason for getting up in the morning Give a teenager a job and there's one fewer candidates for delinquency. Work can give a person a sense of worth. Answer the question, what do you do? Now I can go with that one. If somebody asks me, what do I do? I work at Lowe's, I keep the bullpen up. I manage freight. That's what I do. But now this question, what are you? No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm a Lowe's employee, but that's not my, that's not what my true purpose is. Yeah, I'm, what are you? That's the same question as who you are. No, I, that's just a part of me. The job is a part, but see too many people Wrap everything up around this job, then when they lose their job, they lose their mind. Because you're so, like, you, especially if you worked there for years, and when, if that's what makes you, that's why people commit suicide and stuff. Because that's that, you, if you think that's yeah, one of the reasons, there's many, but if that's what you think you are, that's outside of what God really intended work to be. We're much more than just what we do to what He just said. Our job is to put food on the table, pay my mortgage, pay the 900 insurances we had. That's all a job is. What I truly am is a child of God. Now once you get that done and you can go do your job, hopefully things will start opening up for you. And as I'm giving this class right now, I don't think my eyes are being open to some things. I mean, I even have to change. I, I've never, my perspective of work, I need to start going with a better attitude and not letting little silly little things because each and every day something's gonna happen. But I never did believe that that's who I am. It's just what I do. And then giving a teenager a job, it helps. You know, kids at work, more likely because, I mean, once you go to school, you get off school, you go straight to a job. It does cut down on your time when you can get, go out there and get in trouble. Also, it's teaching them responsibility. It's teaching them also how to manage their money. Genesis 3 and 19. What is the context here, and what does it say about the other side of work? at least for some. Genesis chapter 3 verse 19 To say to us about the other side of work, at least for some. Well now all of a sudden we went from something that God really established in the beginning. Remember now when he first told Adam and Eve I've given you this garden, I need for you to take care of it. It, it, was, it was fun. It was, you know, everything was easy. They did the work. But now when we start really looking when it turns on 19 when he did this curse, because now this is where God curses the man. And if we was just to, to keep reading, or it's above Because he tells him, yeah, it's above he, it. He tells him, now all of a sudden, I'm going to throw some obstacles in your way. See, there wasn't no thorns or pistols to, to tangle the man's hands when he was trying to till the garden, there wasn't no poison either. When he went out there, everything was there, and he just did his job and took care of stuff. But he said, now all of a sudden, since you did this, and you were disobedient to me, I'm now gonna make your job hard. He said, now you're gonna sweat. You imagine, look, it's Southeast Texas, and I work outside, and I know Pastor does, elder often I, depending on where he's gotta work at his job. But when you're out here in the middle of July and August, with 100% humidity, and almost 100% temperature, there's more than just some sweat on your brow. I know there's times I come home drenching, my socks are wet. Now could you just imagine that you go out in the same, doing the same thing and you don't sweat? It's easy, you don't get overheated. You're not gonna get fatigued. But all it is because of disobedience. It says suddenly work was given before the fall changes, after the fall. And that's what I was telling. That's why I was just saying it was easy before the fall. Here is the reference to the other side of work. For some, work means only the drudgery of daily toil, which will end with their death. And I thought about this because I used to have a job working at Port Drum, and when you're out there. I wasn't out there that long. I was probably out there for maybe a year, maybe a year and a half. But they had guys, they had men that was out there for 20, 30 years working. And if you knew anything about port drum back in the day, that was a nasty place to work. You, you better wear your PPE, because you, you there was no telling what kind of chemicals or oil or fuel was coming in those drums we had to clean. And the process is you heat the drum up and then when you know whenever you heat something and you have residue inside the drum, it's gonna release a chemical vapor into the air. And these guys sat out here for 20 and 30 years breathing in these toxic fumes. When I look back at those guys when they retired, none of them really lasted more than a year. Here they were. 20 30 years had, and back then you know we had retirement, they had a retirement plan it wasn't the 401k where it might go up and down these guys had retirement plan they had their social security M- their houses was paid off all of this stuff they had all this stuff to look forward to and then after 20 and 30 years of breathing these toxic fumes when they got away from them toxic fumes they died. And the conclusion was most of them had some form of cancer or, something, or your body became so dependent on breathing in these toxic fumes that once you wasn't breathing in them toxic fumes, they died. You told your whole life to die. And that's what it was saying here. For some, work means only the drudgery and daily toil which, end, which will end with your death. They didn't get the, the time, and, and these guys were retiring at 62, 65 years old. And within a year, maybe two, you're dead. They labored on their jobs that they despised. And I mean, when you was, like I said, when you went out in these conditions, man, these conditions were rough. I mean, you, chemical, you, you, you have to wear a, a, a rubber apron and stuff, you know, to protect you from anything splashing up. You had to wear rubber gloves. And anybody that's worked with rubber gloves and a rubber apron, you know that you sweat even more. You used to be able to take them rubber gloves and do like that and sweat would run out. You had to wear rubber boots. You take off your socks. It would be wet. And they went out in this drudgery. You see, I'm trying to paint you a picture. Because no matter what job you have, it can be an office job or whatever. See, when you go in here and you drudgery every day, it wears on you. It's tearing you down. That's why there's high blood pressure and stuff. And I know, like I said, this is kind of opening my eyes to now how I, when I go to Lowe's from now on. And I've had a boss, you know, he's a Christian, and he's been trying, you know, he's been telling me, let some things go, don't let this stuff, he said, look, this, it, it's something that I know, it's a game. And sometimes you just gotta, hey man, whatever, you do it. And you gotta do it the next day again, Just do it the next day again. And he said, when you leave here, you just leave this store and go home. And see, that's something that i got to start doing. Because I'm I'm taking a toll on my body. Because now I find myself uptight all the time because of a job. They're laboring on jobs in which they despise, hoping to retire while they still have their health. Like I just said, these guys' health was terrible. Mine. And I, I, can't, I guess what I'm doing my help right now. Like I said, I got to reconsider some things and look at this. For others, work can even overtake someone's life. Becoming the center of one's existence, even the all-encompassing source of one's personal identity. Just what we were talking about a minute ago. My job is what I do, it's not what I am. But how many, and you know, I've worked out there and I know there's a lot of y'all that's worked out there and you work the 7-12s. Yeah, the money's good. And yeah, you get some time off. You know, you, you might work 45 days, 90 days on a the shutdown. Then you might be off about a month. But then here you go back into the 7-12s. Working 90 straight months, you know, three straight months now. Now you can go out there and work three straight months but you can't wear a mask Put, put, I leave that alone, but I just thought I'd throw that in there. That's, that's how hard it is to wear a mask. But here you we. Does that become your identity? If you're working a job, and I really want y'all to think about this. If you're working a job, seven days a week, twelve hours a day, what is your identity? What do you have time to do? Because let's be for real. You work twelve hours. That that's it. When you hit that clock till you punch out, you're it. Okay, what time did you get up to go to that job? Are you one like me that needs time? I done learned, I, I got out of that bad habit of waking up at the last minute, now I get my time When so I have to be working five in the morning. I wake up at 3.45, because I want to give myself time to get dressed, brush my teeth, watch the news, or sit there, clear my mind, you know, give myself time before I have to leave. So now I'm waking up at 3.45 in the morning, Going to the job. Then when I get off at 2 o'clock, it still takes me anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes to get home. Now just think of you working, if I'm working 12 hours now. I'm waking up an hour and fifteen minutes before I have to be to work. So that's 13 hours. Then when you get off, by the time you get home, take your shower, eat. You gotta go to bed. You ain't got time to do nothing. Then his disciple starts all over again. So them 12 hours really go out to 14, 15. So who are you? What are you? You're just a tool for somebody who's employing you for them to get rid and they throw you a little crumb Away from their work, these people feel depressed or disoriented. Now, I never had that part. I love vacation. Unsure <laughs> of what to do or where they will turn. In retirement, they may fall apart physically and psychologically, and often die prematurely. And like I said, a lot of people, you know, and there's a lot that go out there and they do some volunteer work or something. That's good. You know, how many, like right now, it's just bad because of the coronavirus, like the food banks and stuff. You, you hear about how the, most of the people that work there are, are retired and stuff, but now they can't really do it because they got a social distance, they're at a high risk. so. Now all of a sudden, these people, these these are the ones that want to go do something, can't do something. Now how do you think that really makes them feel? Because if you've ever really went to the food, I mean to the uh, hospitality house or something, and you see those volunteers and stuff when they're working, they're laughing, and they're joking, and that's how they get their little fellowship and stuff. Now all of a sudden, but see, the disease that... They didn't stop that because they had wanted to, they stopped it because they had to. So now all of a sudden, they're not getting that little work fixed no more. Now we talk about underlying health conditions, that's why you die and stuff, that's why it's going up. Everywhere. It's just, if we gotta rely so much on work that when it is taken away from you that you, I mean, is that the society we've come to? And I want you to think about something. Remember back in the day, Las Vegas and New York used to be the only two places they talk about never shut down. They're open 24-7. We'll go to Austin, Texas. Go to Dallas, Texas. LA, Miami. Back in the day, it just used to be Vegas and, and New York. The lights are always on. But now all of a sudden, go to Beaumont, Texas. Come to Port Arthur. I find some places where Back in the day, it was because man, we could find the after-hour, man, we used to have after-hour parties and everything. I'm just saying, now all of a sudden, there's more than one place that's 24-7. Where it used to be, it was just a couple of places. You had to travel to go get the lights. Now, this is the society. We want to run 24-7 with the microwaves. We want everything right now. That's another thing about just doing masks for 100 days. But we see, we think that when this vaccination comes, it's gonna be the end of everything. No, it's not. You still gonna have to wear masks and socially social Y'all just don't wanna program yourselves for what's getting ready to come in the future. I have to come China been wearing masks. Now granted, they was wearing them because the air quality, which I mean, come on, look at Port Arthur, Texas. What's our air quality? We're always at the bottom of this. But here we got some work we need to do, but we don't wanna do no work because we want it easy. Christians need to learn how to work God's way. Work is more than an economical necessity. Man is more than just an employee. Rightly understood, one's work life is an avenue of ministry, an expression of one's relationship to the Lord. Part of a teacher's task is helping a student find the work where their skill and God-given interest intersects with the needs of the world. And I when I, was reading this, I just thought, you know, you know how many times in my job right now I know I've had an opportunity to pray for somebody? So I know God has me there for a reason. Because there's a couple of people that came back and told me, you know, the prayers was answered. So He had me there just for that moment. So now, how should I start looking at my job? Well, I should start looking at my job as an opportunity to pray for people and allow them to know about God's goodness through his son, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. That's my job at moment. Not keeping the bullpen. Although that's part of it. And see, that's how we got to start playing perspectives. And the question is, what do you do? What do you do, Pastor? What I do. What do you do? Well, I, could I preach. What do you do, teach? Elder works at the school district. Look at the opportunities there. I mean, you have to be careful, because you know, I always ask one thing I always do, do you want me to pray for you? Then, if they tell me. <laughs> I've never had anybody tell me no. And there's a few people I pray for. I know that they're not Christian, but guess what, they still want to pray. I guess I just never ran across a, a, a full-blooded atheist. I've never had anybody turn me down. So, what I do is I work in law. That's what, just like Pastor said, what he does, he cuts gray. He he works for the school district in maintenance. That is, what are you doing? Now, now the second part of this question is where Pastor started going a little prematurely, but we'll, we'll forget it. That is, what are you doing with your life? And how can you better glorify the Lord by doing Now, you see, he cuts grass. He comes in contact with customers. Those customers know that, that, that uh, Jack Chapman, the, the, the owner of the company, is Pastor Chapman. This time, you know, he told me he couldn't come cut their grass on Saturday because it's the Sabbath and he's going to be at church. Elder, he's an elder. He just works for Port Arthur Independent School District, but what he does with his life is he tries to lead people to Christ. See, that's that's all our ultimate job is: is trying to lead people to Christ, to get them from what we've been talking about these last few weeks, from getting them from being creation, which is given. That that's if you're alive and you're breathing. Your creation. Now, with every Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, I call myself the follower of the way of, Jesus, of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, is to get people to Christ. The true Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, God's only begotten Son, the one that died for us. That's our job. Now, how do you do that? Cause it was kind of going back to a question it asked because it said that the work in the English language is just one-syllable word but it has many different definitions. How you do that is your work. Like I said I just I pray for people. Give them an opportunity. I tell my testimony. I tell how God's healed me. Because I ask y'all, y'all see what I do here at Lowe's? Y'all see what I pick up? Y'all see what I do? Do I look like a dude who used to have a, 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 a disease that kept me, where I had to roll out the bed on the floor to get up? And they'll be like, man, you was like that? Yeah, I was like that. I, many times I was hung up in a blanket in a corner just not to move because I didn't want to feel no pain. And then they look at me like, really, man, you? How? God healed. Will you pray for me? Okay. That's how we do it. First, your testimony. Because what does the word tell us? How do you save someone? And if y'all don't know this one, y'all still baby Christians, I hate to tell you. It's by the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ, in the word of your testimony. It's how we're going to save people. So for all those things that God's brought through your life and brought you out of, and you tell that. See, that's when we got to stop doing It's like being so... Like, embarrassed of our past and the stuff that we did. We have to tell him how he's led us. I always goes back to, you know, Pastor Smith's famous little thing about all we have to fear in the future is to forget how God has led us in the past. Work and nurturing. Vocational work deals with the doingness of life. Even those with the most severe Several, how you say it? that's S C-E-R-E-B-R-L cerebral. Cerebral of job. In other words, the thought. And you know you gotta use your brain. End up in some way doing the physical labor of sorts. Even if it means merely pushing the computer keys. Exactly. See, somewhere, even though even if you have an office job, you're gonna have to do something physical. You gotta get up in, in your chair. Now if you want to sit there for eight hours, give you a little tip that just came out in this little thing. If you keep sitting for that long, you're, you're shortening your lifespan. So if you think you just go sit in the chair for eight hours, you, you, you're going to be one of the ones when you retire, you might die prematurely because you're taking a toll on your body just by sitting. See, sometimes we want to get them office jobs, we want to get that stuff, man. I'm glad I've always had jobs where I kind of like, when I was a supervisor in that, I got to do a little of both. You know, I got to go sit in the office, but then I had to get up and go walk that plant and stuff. Had to walk up and down stairs, climb ladders. so I'm always glad I had a balance. And that's when everything. That's why now i are telling you, if you're sitting too much, you need to stand up. And get one of them little desks that raise up so you can stand a little bit, let the blood flow right. do you know you're cutting off the uh, flow of the blood in your circulatory system? What do the following text teach us about work using hands as a symbol? Somebody get Deuteronomy 1615 for me. Somebody else give me Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. I'm going to get Proverbs 21 25. Deuteronomy 16
1: 15 first your God and the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your heart, in all the work of your hand, and your joy
0: will be complete. All right, stay right there, though. All right, Pastor, you got Ecclesiastes 9 and 10. Amen. It Bible says, Whatsoever the hand finds to do, do it with in the grave, we allow it to mm-hmm. Can somebody, my phone Because I want you to stay right there because we're going Excuse me, go ahead my phone. 21, Proverbs 21, 25. The hand is used to work. All right. In the first one you read, L sixteen fifteen. What uh, what context is the use of the hand? Is the hands as a symbol? Using hands as a symbol. What? What did it say about using hands? And what does it symbolize? It's God will
1: bless you in all your heart and in all the work of your and your
0: will be completed. So using your hands, here is using it physically to go ahead and accomplish something. And then once you accomplish it, then it, what does it say that's going to happen once you use your hands and complete it? God will bless you and your will be completed. He will bless you and your joy will be complete. Now notice the words that he used there. First, bless. You will be blessed, it's a blessing. Once again, I say go look up the Hebrew word for blessing. Then, it also says happiness. No, I don't say happiness. It says your joy will be complete. But see, too many of us are using our hands to work, and then we get some happiness, and then all of a sudden, your happiness leaves you. Where if we start trying to focus, and let's get some joy for working with our hands, and that's a God, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit that the Lord gave. Pastor in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, read it one more time. Whatsoever hand with all might, for there is no word. So, hands using, once again, the hands is actually doing something. See, this ain't one of the ones where hands mean something else. It means what it says in these verses. It says that if you do it, it's going to give you what? Until your death. Have you ever, how many people know people that retired after working? And then all the, you know, they, they, they retire around 65 or something. And here they live to 85, 90. And they got joy in their life all the time. There are people out there like that. See, we always get so focused on the negative that we don't ever see the good. Because now, look, if the Bible says that the road to destruction is wide, but the road to righteousness is narrow. Why don't we incorporate this with other things around us? Yes, there is death, destruction, injustice, death, everything's around us. That's the wide road that leads to destruction. But no, there is a negative. Sometimes we have to, you have to search it out. doesn't say everything that we really want that's good, we got to seek it. That's why in this society now, why is it so easy to be negative? Because there's so much of it around. But if we really seek some righteousness and some goodness, it's out there, you just gotta seek it. You know, it's like I always say, like about the news. You know, Ella always says you don't know, have the news, you know. Well, during, when you do, you, the first 25 minutes of every news story is what? Death destruction, somebody got robbed, somebody got raped, somebody got murdered, somebody got, uh, their, their whole life savings taken by somebody doing a telephone scam. You hear all this and then at the very end they'll say they have a little feel-good story. But during how many, like Elder said, sometimes when you listening to this, there's times I find myself, especially like now with all the Trump stuff, I cut, man, I cut the news off. I didn't even get to the feel-good story because they were giving me so many 25 minutes of tragedy. But now if I would have seeked out them last five minutes and listened to the little feel-good story, see, because I know this like in the morning, when I'm watching CBS News, and that's how they do it. Like from from 3.30 to 4, it's all like, to 4.55, it's all the tragedy stuff. And then all of a sudden, the last five minutes, they they got the guy that goes all around the country finding these little feel-good stories. But now I know why they do it, because see, it's psychological too, because if you would make it to that last, whatever that last thought is that you hear, it's like that with music, anything that how come we you know, I always say it, how come when we hear a song gets stuck in your head, that last little song you cut off the radio, stuck in your head the rest of the day? back to, like I was saying, to seek out some good you have to look for. Like you said, they, go go on, go on Facebook. Why is it when we go on Facebook, we want to pull up the negative things but then when there are awesome, pop, because you go to Facebook, a lot of times you'll see stuff like the little cop, the cop that was shooting basketball with the kid, you know, the neighbor called about the kids playing basketball in the street. It was a white cop in a black neighborhood who went out there and started shooting jumpers with the kid, and told them, hey man, just watch out for the cars and don't worry about it. The kids wasn't them kids are there shooting back. Cause see, I think back when we was growing up, I saw Melvin and his wife, Julie, in, in Lowe's one day and we was talking. And you know, see, we was talking back and forth. And I said, you know, I said, I know Miss Julie, we used to get on your nerves, cause you know, we always over there bouncing that bar. I said, but do you know something? I said, you had a whole neighborhood full of children. You just didn't have pop and, and Royce. I said, you, you, you helped the whole neighborhood grow up. I said, something I want you to realize. I said, think about how many of us was there. Never, at any time, there could be up to 10 people there. And I said, I, I, if, if we just go back to the core that came, it was probably like around seven of us that was always there. I said, you know out of them seven, only two just really went to prison? And she tried to bring up one more. Yeah, Dad, no, Dad was the only one. We, she tried to put Eric, but Eric was a little too, Eric really didn't hang with us because he was too young. But I said, out of all of them, I said, yeah, we, we got in some trouble, we did some little stupid stuff and all that, I said, but for the majority, I said, we're all, we were all, we're all good citizens now. I said, you helped that by us staying there because while you allowed us to come shoot that basketball, we wasn't doing nothing else. I said, so see how you raised, and she thought about it, she said, you know what, thank you, Craig, for saying that. I said, yeah, you, you raised the whole neighborhood of kids. Kind of goes back to what it was talking about if you give a kid a job, you know, it's less likely, because, you know, going to school to the job. See, if you give children something to do and take up their time, and something constructive. That's why all of us was pretty good athletes and we were in good health and stuff. If you look at the ones... To this day, that was there shooting like that, we're in pretty good health. But it goes back to using our hands. So, uh, read Proverbs 21 and 25 for me. The
1: craving of his sluggard would be the death of him because his hand refused
0: to work. What's a slugger? Basically, the easiest definition to use is a lazy person. Because a slug, if you know what they're talking about, is like a snake. It's a form of a snake. They move slow. Alright. If you are the male species, because I'm not going to call you a man. But if you are of the male species and you don't have a job, you're a slug. And what does it say about a slugger? Yeah, let me clarify that because right now it is with the coronavirus. If you are not attempting to get a job and attempting I don't really have time to get into all that because no, the, the, I, 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 was on, I was on unemployment. I know about filling out the three little lines that say I went and looked for a job at these three places but I ain't went nowhere. I just opened up the phone book and put three companies in there. I just made sure that companies I knew wasn't hiring. No, if you are diligently seeking a job, I'm not talking about you. But if you're playing in mother game, I'm talking about you. You don't really want to work. You'd rather for your girl to go out and, and, and go to work while you sit around doing nothing. What does it say? Because I'm talking about male species. You, it's gonna lead to the death of you. Now, nah. I want you to really think about something. Because I'm talking from experience. Because I'm talking about when I used to deal with drugs and all that. See, that ain't jock, that ain't what it's talking about. For well, those of you out who are still playing the game, and you get caught up in a drive-by, or somebody busts in your house and shoots your house up, that's what it's talking about. That's the depth it's gonna to lead to, because you're not out there really trying to diligently do some work. All you're doing is leading to more corruption in the society by putting poison in, taking Christmas gifts from under a Christmas tree for a child, taking people's food, stands, food off the table. See, it's all the stuff you do when you deal drugs. But see, we get caught up so much in the money and the power that we don't ever think about the devastation that we leave behind. That's not work. That's not, a, that's not the work that God ordained. And I even do some money in the, uh, in the, in the church house place, thinking that, you know, God's going to be all right with what I'm doing because I'm giving back to his house. But that's ill-gotten game. Hopefully them people do like we do here. That's why, if you ever notice when I pray over the money, I pray that that this money be sanctified and set apart. So if you are throwing some ill-gotten gain into this ministry, I'm praying that it's going to be sanctified and turned around for the right reason. That's why I do that. I've been doing that ever since I've been in Abundant Life. I always pray for the money that it be sanctified and set apart. So, if you're throwing some ill-gotten gain in, by all means, keep throwing it. I'm going to pray for it for the right reason. But, no, really, until you need to take a look at yourself. You need to take a look in the mirror. Because it just said that if you keep being, you're not out there trying to really be a working and a vibrant citizen in this society, it's going to lead to your death. All the time we see all these killings and stuff, and we, oh, how can this happen? See, when we. And it's something that when Pastor started doing, y'all really need to tune in Wednesday night. Because this is going with the lesson. Because the lesson's talking about a Christian education. If you did not sit there and see yourself in that list that he read, and I know, I know the, uh, the audible was terrible, but he read a list. And somewhere on that, each and every one of us are because I saw myself in a couple of them lists that he was calling out. And that was for the chandeliers. And I found myself, I'm kind of, you know, I'm prideful. Sometimes too, I'm almost on that borderline of conceit. I'm teetering. You know, thank God I have a Holy Spirit that, you know, bounces me back. But that don't mean <laughs> sometimes he levels back out then he got to bounce me back again. That's how it is. But at least I recognize that. I've seen a couple of them things on there. So, we don't want to go read these prophecies and then look and see the same stuff that was going on then is going on now. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just a different time and it's different thing. Music, the movies, our our conversation sometimes, we're in this same little thing that we always say, how could they do that? And here we find ourselves, Elder I always used the analogy but we're just some New Testament Jews, because we just do the same thing that they did, and then we want to sit here and say, oh, how could you do that? Well, we do the same thing, we just don't sit there and see. See, because a lot of times we're quick to point out the flaws we see in other people, because really deep down we have the same flaws. But we don't want to, you know, acknowledge our flaws, but we're quick to acknowledge everybody else's flaws. And that's what it's telling us here, man, look at this work that you're really supposed to be doing with your hands. God has given us the work of our hands so we can find fulfillment and joy. Because see, the one Pastor Red one that said, you know, and Elder 2 about if you do this, especially the one Elder, right, if you do this work that I've given you to do, you're going to get blessings and joy. And it turned and said, if not, if you're being that sluggard, it's going to lead to your death. And I want you to understand death here in two ways. It's the physical death, but it's also your spiritual death. See, a lot of times when we're reading this stuff, we, we always want to come from the fleshly part. We don't understand about our soul's salvation. So that death can be physical and your spiritual death. Not the spirit itself, because we know the spirit is given from God. That's why I mean, you need to go learn some of these things about really what this battle is about. The battle is about your soul. What's your soul? See, what what work are you doing to help your soul? Are you trying to correlate this stuff and find out where am I weak? Because, like I said, Some of the stuff when Pastor was doing that lesson Wednesday night, I know this stuff. But then all of a sudden I had to say, wait, hold up. Well, the first thing everybody, I know everybody did what I did. If you could hear, and if you went back and listened to the anchor, which was what I cleared. First thing I looked at was Trump. Oh, man, that's Trump right there. Oh, yeah, we're going through our, look look at this mess. Wait, hold up, man. All Trump does show is show us a reflection of us, not in everything, but yeah, we, there's some things we will Trump in sometimes. I mean, I'm not as hateful and, you know, I'm not a racist and stuff like that, but yeah, there's some things I got. But see, he is saying that if we do, if, if we're really doing the, if God has given us the work of our hands so we can fulfill, so we can find fulfillment and joy. So in other words, you've got to seek this stuff out. It just don't come to you. We think just because, you know, we come to church, we pray, we do this and that, all of a sudden God's, God's blessings and his joy is going to be upon us. No, it's not There's the things you've got to do to get it. And like we always say, when we started this out, because it started with the Garden of Eden, disobedience started everything. And it's still relevant in this society to this day. In psychology, self-efficiency describes the belief that every person has the ability to accomplish something meaningful in life. (laughs) In psychology, self sufficiency describes a belief, now it's just a belief, notice the word used, that every person has the ability to accomplish something meaningful in life. So in other words, you should at least be able to get one thing that's mean. Think back, what did, what did Rahab do? One thing. What did, uh, nah oh, man, not get brain crammed. The property got eaten up by the uh, belly, the, the sea beast. Jonah. Jonah just had to go tell men. We don't know nothing else that he did through scripture. See, it shows us time and time again. Where one meaningful thing. Have you accomplished one meaningful thing? Have you saved just one soul? I always said the greatest man, when when I found this verse, man, it made me feel so good. It said that if I turn, and see in this context, you gotta understand now, when you're reading this, it says that if you turn a brother from his sin, It will cover a multitude of your sins. That's not getting someone saved. That's saving someone who is already saved, but is falling short back into the fold. Then a multitude of my sins are going to be covered. And at that time, being a baby Christian, I still had a multitude of sins. Don't have as many now, hopefully. Hopefully I cut some down. But I still got some sin in my life. So if I'm helping a brother, a fellow believer, back into the fold, it's covenant. See, that's the work. See, that's the work we're supposed to be doing. A lot of times, too, we're so focused on trying to do the evangelism outside the church that we forget. There's still some in the very thing. Not saying that they're going to hell or nothing like that, but they're falling short. That we won't help them because of stuff that we've done in our family. We, we know what this person's going through, but we won't help him. Well, you're not doing the work or your hands, the fulfillment that you should be getting. So let's start looking at this big picture of this work that we're supposed to be doing. It's not only for the, the, the lost world out there, there's some in our very midst that need help. They need the work that we can do. We have. There's so many that still bound up and tied up with stuff that they've done in their past that it's not letting them be released. You know, we come up here and we try to do this thing about forgive yourself first, man. But this—it's really hard. You know, I always tell you the story of how, how you know, I had it for, you know doing my mind, you know, you know, then finding out you know the anger that I had towards her, and the anger towards God, you know. Because of a divorce. It's stuff. We always talk about the significant emotional events. Sometimes we need to go back and do that shadow boxing lesson again. Because it talks about these doors and the stuff that we got. That's the people in the church. That ain't the loss. That's the children. It's not the creation. Our very children are still falling short. And here we are in this building and we don't want to do our work. I'm trying my best now, my prayers, every day. Yeah, I pray for the outside world sometimes.